0: Guys, good evening. God bless you. Uh, It's a privilege to be here. Uh, It's certainly an honor to be in front of you, and um, even more so now that I've had a chance to get to know a good number of you guys here in the room. Uh, Some of you have known for a while, and uh, it's been a privilege to develop these relationships with you, knowing that we have Jesus at the center of our purpose in our lives. But to get to know more men here on the other side of the country has been a tremendous blessing. So, what I would like to do, first and foremost, is to share a few words with you about this question that has been uh, troubling me for some time, and it's, have you considered the cost of being a disciple? We talk, just like we've learned through the earlier part of the day, and even the exhibit A here that we just finished with uh, with John, uh, that it is important for us to be engaged in E-squared. And i thought a lot about that, and I've uh, been surrounded by men over in uh, the Detroit area who have been able to coach me and to guide me and lead me and pray with me on how to be able to disciple other men. The one area that God has really instilled in me to study is to reflect upon my need to then think about my being a disciple. And what does that entail? And searching for the answer to that question, or at least taking some time to study and to think about that question, has then helped me to be better equipped to then to disciple other men and to minister to to other men. So I propose to you that the time that we want to spend together today is involved more with the second It's not so much the evangelism, but it's the edification. And we focus a lot on being able to pour our lives into edifying other men But what do we do to really to invest our own lives, sacrifice our own lives and consider the costs that it's involved so that we become the men who are feeding on the word of God? What do we do to truly consider what costs are involved to being disciples and disciples of the one and only Jesus Christ? And so I want to focus on that through the rest of uh, this time that we have together in the hour. Uh, I'd like to try to break it down, perhaps, over the maybe a few sections. Uh, First of all, starting with uh, just the basic question. We want to consider the cost of being a disciple and what that is. We're going to then take a look at Luke 14. And uh, Jerry gave us a quick but yet very good uh, intro uh, here. In the last, if you were with us in the panel um, with uh, Jerry... Uh, just a few, a couple hours ago that was helpful. It'll be in Luke 14, verses 25 through 35. And then we're going to review the three costs that are outlined in that passage. And God willing, we're going to try to extract as much as we possibly can out of that out of the passage. I welcome your questions. I encourage your questions. So please um, share with me what's in your hearts and what are your thinking, some things that may make sense. And I also want to share with you that while we explore this question, it is really the exploration of the question, so I don't know that we'll actually have too much time to actually answer it, but we're going to think about it together. And then I'd like to close with some possible applications, two, maybe three applications, and then challenge each other with some more questions as we leave here this evening, and hopefully wrap it up by then, at that point in time. So with that uh, as a short preamble, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, get this thing started. Heavenly Father, Father, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart, Father God, just um, let them be pleasing to you in your sight this evening. Father, these men are here to hear from you and not from me. Um, Father, I, uh, I I come to you with a nervous heart, Father God, knowing that uh, your word is powerful and it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, Lord, and uh, I'm merely I'm merely your instrument. And um, Father, I just pray that I would be able to um, emulate the words of John the Baptist, Lord, that uh, that truly at this moment that you would not only be our teacher, but that you would increase, and that I would decrease, and as a result, that your word would uh, just be planted and spoken of, that your name would be glorified, and as a result, that um, the men in this room, and myself included, Father, would be molded into the image of your Son, um, as that being our final goal and purpose. So Father, I dedicate this time to you, and I just ask for you to take over, and um, you be the teacher. I pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, amen. amen and amen. So guys, have you considered the cost of being a disciple? Have, um, have we even thought about the fact that there is a cost to being a disciple? Some of us have maybe put some thought into it, and some of us perhaps not. But as I said to you already, within the, and I kid you not, maybe it's been three to four years now that God has just been bringing this up over and over and over and over in my life. If I have faced um, a number of experiences, challenges in my life with home, with family, with work more recently, uh, with extended family, with illnesses, and things of that nature. Uh, And even with working with other men and and trying to just to seek kind of what what is my role in working with other men and also now to applying this concept of discipleship with my wife and my three little girls as well and really focusing on my responsibility with discipling them um, primarily in the house. And then from there, obviously, also taking it um, across to, to discipling men. And God has been very faithful. And I tell you what, let me just take a quick pause here to mention to you that uh, what we have been hearing over the last two days, but particularly earlier today about evangelism, is that if you so much as pray that God will give you at least one man to be able to work with, God is faithful. And I, I, I took that same advice from a number of men who have shared that with us over in a retreat over in Beulah Beach in, in the Cleveland area. And I'll tell you what, it just there was no shortage of men. As Winston said earlier today, they 're all around us, so all you have to do is just be willing and be available for that opportunity and it's out, and it 's out there right and I know many of us can relate to that, but really, the focus here for the question today is what about me? What about you as a disciple but a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have we thought about the fact that there is a cost involved here? and I would really assert to you that based on some of the passages that we 're going to read today we 're going to explore what Jesus Christ shared with his disciples and even with some of the crowds that were supposedly following him, and, how, and why perhaps they may have been intending to try to follow Christ, and what is it that he told them about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's go, I'm hoping your, your Bible's from, with me, please, and I hope you have one there handy with you in some form or fashion. Luke 14, we're going to read from verses 25 through 35. Starting in verse 25. Now, large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother, I mean, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Or else while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But even if salt has become become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. So it is thrown out, he who has ear to hear. Let him hear. So let me try to set up a little bit of this context within this chapter so we kind of fully understand a little bit more kind of what, what, what Christ was working with here. Christ was invited, first of all, to the house of a Pharisee back at the beginning of the chapter in, in verse 1. So the following verses then describe for us in great deal that interaction that Jesus had with the host of, uh, in that home and along with the guests. Jesus, in that example, or at least in that passage, I'm sorry, he actually heals a man of dropsy, and then he describes at least two parables. Both of them, they had to do with the invitations to a feast and or something that was very similar to a big dinner. So we won't go into the details for each of those parables, but please know that Jesus was addressing the motives that were behind the invitations and how the others or the guests were actually responding to those invitations. So in our passage, now we're going to examine how Christ then cautions those who respond to his invitation to become disciples, and how we observe how Jesus then lays out those specific costs. So we start with verse 25. So once again, we go back and we say, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned, and then he said to them. So if you can kind of picture this image with me, is it Jesus if we can kind of picture you as men, as the crowd, right? So Jesus leaves the house of this Pharisee, and he confronts the the men within the parables, and he basically puts them in their spot and heals a man, walks out of that home, and he's basically heading out. And by the way, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, but he was on his way to Jerusalem, so he's heading out, and he's surrounded by all these people, and he turns around, and you almost, you almost have to think and say, wow, this is great. I've got a huge following. This is a large crowd. What can I do to keep these people so I can convince them that maybe next week they ought to go home and maybe bring a friend? How can we make this grow? This is awesome. This is great. But no, what does he say? Right, he sees a large crowd and the first thing he says If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So take a step off to the side now and read that verse and consider that verse from the perspective of one of his 12 disciples. What do you think maybe they were thinking? (laughs) Uh, yes! How are we going to make this a one of the worldwide movements? How are we going to grow this thing, Jesus, between now and we get to Jerusalem, if you keep saying this kind of stuff? Really? You really want to grow this if you tell people that they have to hate their mother, their father, their brothers and sisters, their wives, even their own lives? I mean, really? I mean maybe somebody wanted to consult with Jesus and say, look, let me just pull you aside. He says, let, let, let me let me be your consultant about how to interact with people here. Okay, can I give you a few tips? All right, but no, what does Jesus do? He says, and, he, and, and, and as I read these verses, I almost now think of it from his perspective and says, he's saying, I don't really think that most of you really should be here. Why are you here? Why are you following me? What's motivating you? to try to follow me out of that place. Are you coming to me because it's entertaining? Are you coming to me because I just happened to have this conversation with those individuals of authority and I happened to put them in their place? Or maybe it was because of the healing and the miracles. And maybe it's for your own selfish business reasons and maybe you just want to make a buck. I mean, really think about it. Why are you following me? Because if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, the first thing you need to do is you need to hate your father, you need to hate your mother, your sisters, your brothers, your wife, your children. Oh, and by the way, you also then have to hate your own life. So right off the bat, he says, there's cost number one, all of your relationships, That's your first cost. If you really want to be my disciple, if you want to be my student, if you want to follow me to where I am going, then are you willing to give up all of your relationships? Because that's what it's going to cost you. And it's going to cost you so much that when I actually... And this is Jesus' terms, right? So Jesus is the one saying, when I define the terms here, I say to you that it's your love for me and devotion for me to follow me as my disciple is going to look like hate when you compare that love to your devotion to your family, to your mother, to your father. That father who just trained you and brought you up and tried to set up a name for you. That mother who just spent the rest of her life trying to nurture you, that brother and sister and that family identity, that inheritance that perhaps is coming with the family, all of that money, your own identity, everything that comes with the family, everything that you've worked for up to this point, are you willing to give all of that up and turn around and say to your own mother and father, my love for Jesus Christ is so intense and it's so Grand that my love for you it looks like hate, like I despise you. Are you willing to do that for, for your family? And not only that, but Jesus then basically wraps it up in just a few words, and then he says, "And yes, even his own life, because then, if you can't do that, then you cannot be my disciple. Are you willing to do that to your family? But then also, are you willing to give your own life to be my disciple?" to basically commit your own personal suicide you deny yourself so much so that you would lay your life down for me so do you really think that what i have to offer meaning jesus to teach you to try to train you to disciple you if you want to then follow me would you be willing to give all of that plus your own personal life to be able to do this and this is exactly the point right here, men, where I can totally connect back out to what we we're talking about and also with our, with our key verse here um, in our scripture for 1 Corinthians one twenty six. right? Have you considered, and this is exactly what Jesus is trying to get these people to think and to say, consider, think carefully. How many of us actually have made time to think carefully about our walks with the Lord? And I mean think, to seriously take some time to slow down, alone with the word, just to meditate on it, just to think about what it says, and how it actually then might be applied in our lives. And we don't do it, and I would be willing to propose to you that if you're anything like me, you don't do it because you're afraid that God's going to put his finger in an area that is going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Amen? So we avoid it, like the plague. And we often convince ourselves that we have gadgets, that we have our our iPads, our phones, and we have access to the internet, and we have to Google, and we have Blue Letter Bible, and eSword, and all these great tools. We have access to the information, but do we actually sit down alone with the word to actually think about the cost, and what the words of Jesus Christ are saying to us in our souls to say, look, are you willing to give that up and to pay that price? of all of your relationships including your own personal life. Cuz if you're up to it then I'm game. Let's go. But if you're not, then maybe you shouldn't be following me. Any questions? Verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Earlier in in, uh, chapter 13, it's noted, if you want to flip back over with me just very quickly, I want to point this out to you because I think it's an important part of also understanding the larger context of this particular verse. Verse 27, if you want to back up to verse 22 of chapter 13. And let's read this and also consider this verse very carefully, man. And here's what it says. And as he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Why was he headed to Jerusalem? To die. Christ knew exactly where he was going and why he was going there. He knew his purpose and he knew his objective. And as Jerry had mentioned to us earlier, and we would study it back in John 4, chapter 5 as well, that there are a number of verses where Jesus clearly tells us that his food was to do the will of the Father. So he knew what he was exactly going to go do on his way to Jerusalem. So I'll think about that now within the context of reading this next verse. And he says, whoever does not carry his own cross, I'm back over to chapter 14, verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. Now let's just pause here just for a quick second. And let's think about this again from those individuals who just stopped cold, the disciples over on the other side going, ah, right? And Jesus just got through telling them about the first cost. And now he says, for all of you people who are here following me, knowing that I'm going to Jerusalem, the moment he said, you got to take up your cross, that meant something to them. Right? So the Roman government used crucifixion, Is the most horrific and the most painful form of punishment, right? It was the iron fist of the Roman government to basically try to do two things. The government was trying to send across two messages. One, for that particular criminal, it's a form of punishment, right? The pain that the person was going to endure was beyond words. The second objective was it was a very public event, so then the rest of the people would basically get the message of shame understanding the pain understanding the publicity of it understanding the horror and understanding that they ought to fear the Roman government that nobody would dare one be a criminal or two also mess with the with the Roman government and its iron fist so Christ here voluntarily says guess what guys whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple so now you have the, cro- the crowd say, now wait a minute. Who is going to willingly pick up a cross? We know what the cross means, and we've seen it in action. We've seen the government inflict that pain upon many people already. You want me to be your disciple if you're going to actually ask me to pick up a cross? Why would you pick up a cross if you were living in those particular days under the Roman rule? You were to be crucified, and you were going to be publicly shamed. Your family would be publicly shamed. And there was no, no rhyme or reason to do it. No logical person would actually want to do that. And Christ here is very clearly saying, you know what, that's the second cost here. And not only is self-denial, but you're willing to go to the point of the cross. For me. Are you willing to do that? And if so, let's go. Come on, let's follow me. I'd love to have you on board. Men, how many of us would be willing to pick up a cross for Jesus Christ at this point? Would you be willing to pay that cost for following Christ? Would you take the time to even to consider just to quietly take some time to think about what that cross would represent in your life? Because you and I both know at this moment that we live in a society where we do not have to worry about literally picking up a torture type of instrument like that and publicly have to walk down Main Street up to a very high open hill on the other side of the city and be publicly crucified. And thankfully we don't. But there are many, many other ways that Jesus still challenges our thinking Challenges us with our decisions and our commitment to him by saying, look, Jesse, I don't know if you actually will actually pick up a cross or not, but the question is, are you willing? In the same way that you're willing to love me so much that you're going to hate your mother and your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, and even your own life, then are you also then willing to take up your own instrument of torture and carry it? If I were to ask you to do that, would you do that? Now step aside and think about from the perspective of the of the disciples. Those disciples who were already committed, guys, for them, this wasn't news to them. If you flip back over to chapter 9 of Luke, Luke 9, 23 and 24, within that particular context of that, of Luke 9, he's speaking directly to his 12 disciples. And at that time, he also says to them, if I can find it, and he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. That almost reads to me as if Jesus is basically turning around saying his own disciples right then and there and saying, look, for you guys who are here following me, who you've already made this commitment because I've called you, here's your to-do list. If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And Jesse's translation has a number four to that to-do list, and that's repeat. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, and repeat. Okay, so he's speaking to his disciples. So these guys couldn't barely go back over here to chapter 14 and say, where did that come from? Right? So what Jesus then now expanded, it was over to the larger crowd. And he's saying, if anybody wishes to be my disciple, this is what it's going to cost. Are you willing to do this? Where is your devotion to me? To then to be that disciple, to be my student, to be my pupil, to follow me, and if so, then let's do it. Any questions so far? Back to chapter 14 then. Thankfully, Jesus takes a slightly different turn in the next few verses. And he provides some illustrations. Again, these are illustrations that these men and these people within the crowd, they could understand. And so we're going to try to, I'm not going to try to dive into the meaning of all of what these verses really say. But it's pretty clear to try to get, basically just to understand both of those illustrations that Jesus shared. So first of all, he says... coming against him, rather, with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So Jesus t- takes a step back and he says, okay, now let me let me go at it, guys, from, for, from a totally different perspective. Okay? So let's talk about the guy who's building a house. Any one of you would here would be able to agree with me that if you're going to actually try to build a house, then you try to think about what you need to basically try to complete the project, right? And, and I know there are quite a few men here in the real estate business and, and many contractors and people who understand this business in terms of what it means today. It's not a good or wise business decision, even someone like myself who's not aware of those kinds of business principles, to even to sit back and say, why would you do that? to enter into such a huge commitment if you don't really know that you have the cash flow, the commitment, if you don't have the resources, the assets, or the time, or the people, the team to bring together to make that project complete. And if you don't go through and follow through with that kind of a commitment, then what's gonna happen, then your name is gonna be spread amongst the community of all the other members of the community and other builders and other businessmen and women, and they're gonna know that they're really, really, really this, is, this is embarrassing. So he tries to relate to the crowd, again, to challenge the thinking, and he says, a wise businessman will actually consider the cost before engaging in the project. Right? What about the man who's in the military? What about the king who was considering going to war with that other king And he doesn't really first maybe realize and try to sit down and say, let me consider what I have in my defense. What does my army look like? And what does that guy's army look like? I have, maybe I'm the one with 20,000 and the other guy has 10,000. Well, that changes the game completely, right? Well, in this case, Jesus is saying, look, this is a guy, the king, who has 10,000. And if he knows that the other guy over on the other community, the other king has 20,000, won't he at least think twice before he's going to actually go wage war with that other king? And maybe even try to send a delegation and say, you know what, can we just talk about terms of peace here? Let's talk about this here. That's the point. It's really not so much about the outcome of that particular war, but the point in here is that Christ is really trying to relay the message over to these people that say, look, if you're following me and you want to go where I'm going, if you didn't get the whole message about hating your father or your mother and your family and giving up all the relationships, if you didn't really get the idea of the cross, let me spell that out for you in the form of the builder and also the king who goes to war. Are you willing to consider the costs of what it's going to take to follow me? So think, stop, and think about it. And by the way, which is here kind of the example of the king, Going to war, and so, some of you here, have met a couple of you men, and even in your introductions, I understand that you're you're either veterans or you're currently in the service, right? So when you're in the military, can you envision? Can you envision a soldier actually now going, or or, or, or even an officer now based based on your on your Tim, right? Who is uh, correct from the example that you gave us yesterday? What if Tim actually now is a man probably responsible for leading other men into? some sort of battle of some sort, right? If he actually gets over the war, and then he retreats back with his men, and he turns around, and he turns around, and he looks at his men, and he says, hey, let's, let's rethink this, because you know what the enemy's doing? They're shooting at us. They, we are at war, and how dare they shoot at us? They're throwing these things, and they're exploding, and it, it, I, we, can't, I, we can't do this. This is scary. I, I might die, you know, I no, I'm not willing to take that kind of a risk. What kind of leader would he be if he actually took that kind of step and didn't first consider and was very blunt with his men and said, Okay guys, if we're heading into battle, we're gonna train, we're gonna be fully equipped, we're gonna study the enemy. And we all have to be very, very honest with ourselves about what we're getting into. Right? This is why you've enlisted. Amen? Right? And so Jesus is very, very clear here with these people and saying, if you've enlisted, if you have signed up to be my disciple, this is going to get ugly. There is a cost involved and it's beyond just your convenience. It's far beyond that. Are you willing to also to pay that cost? And so he's going at them and addressing every single angle of their experience so that there is no question about what it means to be a disciple of his. Am I making any sense? Absolutely. Can, can we relate to some of this? Ron. Yes, thank you.
1: Jesse, that passage about hating your mother, father, wife, children has always been a disturbing one. And obviously, it's uh, distinct from the passages where we're commanded to love our wives. But the problem I've always had with this is that I have no idea what it looks like. And I would love to get some ideas about what that actually looks like. I understand that there's some sense of a priority, but it's, that doesn't, it sounds like there's a lot more than just um, an order there, just your comments on that. On, on Like, I'm going to love God first, and then I'm going to love my you know wife. and it, it doesn't sound like it's just kind of a, the right order of things. It sounds like there's a huge gap between the two, love for God. And love that you give to everything else, including yourself. Yeah. No, Ron,
0: I... um, I thought a lot about that. And um, I was really hoping that 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 question wouldn't come up. (laughs) Just to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. All, All I can tell you is that... Well, let let me look at, try to go at it from this angle. When Jesus has a conversation with the rich young ruler, the question that the rich young ruler poses to Jesus is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response to him says, you know the answer. Right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might, and your neighbor and yourself, period. Right? But at the same time, we go back and we read the words of the apostle Paul in Ephesians five, and it says, "Love your wife, the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her." Right. So the answer is yes.
1: You it seems like, it's... Look, like really a question of commitment. I'm sorry. It's a question of commitment, is is really what he's after. I think that's right. Right, because he he doesn't say. Leave your wife, leave your family. He says, be willing to. Correct. For his cause. Correct. Right, we, we talked, I talked with Craig this morning about the dog tags. You know, the, the, those dog tags, just like we wear the cross, it's a symbol of Christ and him going, those dog tags are a symbol of death. Right? So I'm not asking a question, I guess, but. No, um, yeah, Willing to die. Yes. For him. Yes, it's, it's, the, it's
0: the willingness to make that commitment and then be fully aware of what it means to make that commitment. So, gentlemen, I also want to, I'm, I'm glossing over some other concepts here that I'm hoping that we've already cemented at some point in time. And if you haven't, then please forgive me. But also there's an understanding here that we are merely stewards of all of what belongs to Jesus Christ. So I love my wife, not just because I like her, and she's awesome, and she's my best friend, but I'm commanded to love her. So I love her, and fortunately I enjoy loving her, but I love her because I want to obey a lover of my soul. And I I want to do that to please Jesus Christ, right? But my devotion, my first and foremost commitment is to Jesus Christ, I remember several years ago, I was sitting in a restaurant over in Colorado Springs with Matt Calfin, a good friend here, and we were on our way up to Lost Valley. And I remember starting to grapple with this question. I think that's where it all had started. And I remember sitting down talking with him, and I said, Matt, I, I'm, I'm afraid to admit to you that I think I'm, I've come to this conclusion that I've already told Christ in prayer that if he needs to take my wife and my three little girls then he should take them. If they come between him and I, then take them. And I remember thinking about that, guys. I remember thinking a lot about that and processing it and processing it and processing it. But the moment that I said it to him that morning, and I still remember where we were sitting. I remember the centerpieces. I remember all the decorations. That's like a moment that's just been itched in my brain because when the words came out, to me they became real. I have now shared it with another man who I know is going to hold me accountable in front of Jesus Christ and his presence. And I know that I've publicly said, Lord, I am willing for you to take my wife and my little girls. And for those of you who know me and or have met my wife and and my three little girls, it would be, relate to many of you here, it would be, pain would not even come close to describing what I would feel if he were to do that. But, but man, it, we got to get to that point. And that's where I feel like I really had to get to that point in my commitment, Ron, to answer your question, is am I willing to then not only see that happen, but then also if and when it does happen, I need to prepare for that decision if it comes because I want to be able to show that commitment to Christ. And to some extent, let me take just a side note here to share with you that at the end of August... share this with a little bit of hesitation, but I will anyway. Um, you see from my bio that I, I, I left EMU, Eastern Michigan University, my employer um, at the end of August to finish my doctoral program. So essentially what happened was I lost my job. The job, I had been there for 15 years and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with the students and I said earlier, a few minutes ago, right, that the moment you ask God for men, You just pray that prayer. I mean, guys, there were students, there were young men just coming into my office, just ready to hear the gospel. And discipleship opportunities were coming in left and right. I was blessed beyond belief, and all of a sudden, God said, Time out, you're done. You're out of there. I need you out. And that for me was one of the first times here in application of this particular talk with this kind of commitment where I had to take a step back and it was a painful step to say, okay, Lord, you're taking this away from me, a job that I've really grown to love and that you've given me the skill sets to be very good at and the opportunity to share the gospel with other young men who desperately need you and now you're telling me to give it up and I remembered Luke 14:25 25-35. And I said, okay, Lord, thank you thank you. I have to trust you. I don't like it. It feels awful. The circumstances of my separation from my job were, were not pleasant at all for me and for my family, and they still aren't. But I thank him nonetheless. And it's difficult to say those words, but I really want to remain committed. And men, this for me is just the tip of the iceberg because I have to then be prepared for that moment if and when God says, you know what, your wife Amy." It's time. Or your daughter, Anna. It's time. Am I prepared to be able to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I am your disciple, and I am committed to you. I love my wife, but she's yours. I'm merely a steward of her life. And I pray, I pray to God that when I then stand before you, Lord, on that day, that you would agree with me that I have loved her the way you've loved the church. I pray that someday when I get up to meet the Lord, that he and I would be in agreement about what it was to be a good steward of my resources at work, being able to answer that question, why go to work? I hope so. So, man, I don't know what Trevor, if you might have known any of this here coming into, but he called me up Several months ago, and asked if I was willing, and we discussed a topic, and I said, "Well, here's a range of topics that I'm working on," and we agreed on this one. And then, lo and behold, at the end of August, the Lord puts me to the test and says, "Okay, Bucko, are you ready to put it into action?" For those of us who have watched Happy Days growing up, (laughs) okay, okay, all right, all right. So, yes, sir. Question.
1: to comment, actually, um, so, yeah, my name is Aaron. I'm a combat medic. Deployed to Afghanistan in 2012. And um, something that he said about the dog tag is a symbol of death. Man, <laughs> you know, we were out there. Um, some soldiers will put dog tags on their boots. Some of them around their neck. Um, so when they lost a leg, they can identify the body. And um, just thinking about that being a symbol of death, and how that translates to Christ. Um, you know, that symbol of death. That when we die, it's that everlasting. You know, we, we we fought the good fight, and that's our symbol, that we're men of God. And um, thinking about being called as an enlisted member, so many times we'd be out there, a truck would hit an IED, you know, 100 yards away, and the person in the truck, you know, 100 yards away, jumps out of the truck and starts running. They're like, where are you going, man? We're in Afghanistan. Where you? you know, so I think it's one thing to be enlisted and called, but um, when you get into battle, you know, what are you going to do? And I think there's many people that really proved that, yeah. Um, I remember being there, too. We dropped a tire, and this tire was sensitive. And so we had to pull security on it. And this, this woman, who was our truck commander, jumps out. She pulls security on the tire. No problem. I'm in the back shaking. I'm like, man, I'm not going out there. I'm staying in here. you know. So I think uh, that enlisted call. Definitely. pretty uh, Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for sharing. All right, man, let's move along. Verses 34. Thirty. I'm sorry. Thirty-three. I'm sorry. Thirty-three. I was going to skip a verse here. Verse thirty-three. He says, "So then, none of you who can who can be my disciple who does not give, none of you can be my disciple. I'm sorry. Who does not give up all of his own possessions? Your material possessions, men. They have value." Are those possessions that you're willing also to give up? Our homes, our vehicles, our jobs, our nest eggs, our retirement accounts, our current accounts. You might say, well, there's not much there, but anyway, are you willing to give that up as well? The things that uh, sometimes we often say, you know what, I've worked hard for that. I've worked really, really hard to get to this place or I've earned this, or I've earned that, or this has been passed down from my family. It's an heirloom. It's a possession. It has value. Winston talked earlier to us about Romans 12.2. Remember what he said? And I completely agree with this, is that before you get to Romans 12.2, what is a prerequisite? Verse 1, right? That's the sacrifice. So before you even enter into the realm... Of not conforming to this world, but been transforming the mind, you have to first consider the sacrifice, right? And the sacrifice is here for us men with our possessions, is that we, you and I both know, and I know this is perfectly fine to assess value to those temporal possessions that we have. They mean something to us. And that temporal meaning is something that's built into us, and that's perfectly fine. Because otherwise, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. But are we willing to then give something of that lesser value in order to obtain the item of greater value, which is an eternal reward? So these items that God has given us here to be able to steward and to manage, as much value as you think perhaps that we might think that they have, are you willing to give those up as well? So Jesus comes back and he wraps it up with a bow and he says, this is like the catch-all phrase, you know, like the all duties as, as, as assigned kind of a thing at the end of a job description, additional duties assigned. This is the so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. For some of you who are also here in the legal world, you know that there are key words that you look for in contract language. There's a big difference between shall and may. Am I right? Right? Well, the word all, if you study the word in the Greek, in the Aramaic, in the Hebrew, even in Spanish, guess what all means? All. Everything. The whole thing. Right, so there's no other way to try to slice that word in this meaning. It is encompassing of all of your possessions and all of what you have. So basically, Jesus is saying, "Are you willing to pay that kind of price and that cost to be my disciple?" So at this point, when he stops here, can you kind of envision the crowd kind of thinning out? You know, like, oh, you know, like, I gotta go. All right, those of us who are here with kind of the cell phones. You know, so something is kind of going through your mind, thinking, "Okay, now I, I got something else to do. This is not really what I signed up to do, right? I don't, I don't know that I'm willing to pay the cost." And even, and then some of Jesus' disciples are over here, probably now at this point, thinking, "Now, come on, really? At, at, at the onset, Jesus? I mean, we've been walking together now for some time, but but this is pretty harsh." And some of you here might be saying too, Jesse, you know what, really from the get-go, this is just way too harsh. Guys, this is the introduction. This is Jesus laying it out there flat out in their faces for these people who were walking out and saying, look, do we really want to follow this guy? And Jesus turns around and says, before he even introduces himself and says any other kind words or greetings, no, he says, nope, if anyone wishes to follow me and be my disciple, here's what you got to do. Right? This is like reading the introduction in the M.I.M. series and boom, it's right there in the first page. Okay, God's not wasting time and he's not mincing his words. Jesus Christ is laying it out there flat and clear for us to be able to hear this. Right? And the disciples, I'm sure, are saying, Ugh. Okay, uh, maybe we just talk about this a little bit later. Right? No, there is no talking. Jesus has spoken, it is done, it is said. And it also applies to them, to the disciples. So men, are you willing to consider, again, these costs that Christ has outlined for us today? Are you willing to not only take up that cost and pay that cost, but then are you willing to take the time to get along with Jesus to then to find a way to apply it in your life? And what do those costs translate into? And his final conclusion here, he ends with some very encouraging words in verses 34 and 35. And he says, Therefore, salt is good, but even salt has become tasteless with what will it be seasoned? If it becomes tasteless, rather, it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so my brain just goes off and I sit and I think about this and I close my eyes and I think I can almost picture Jesus saying okay guys if you didn't get anything else about what I just said about the cost let's talk about salt okay if it loses its flavor it's useless right can't use it for much not even for the manure pile if you have ears to hear hear it if you don't, don't it doesn't really bother me I'm going to head back on my way I'm gone Is Jesus really losing sleep about thinning of the crowd? He's not using the tactics that many people, or many of us, at least myself, are aware of, of trying to soften messages to try to bring people in, like a a bait and switch kind of approach and say, if we can just get them in, if we can get a better band, if we can get just a better speaker, if we can revamp our child care ministry. If we can do this, if we can get guys to go to a better restaurant or a better luncheon or maybe upgrade the cigars, Trevor, I don't know, <laughs> something. Is it's, it's, it, you know, no, Jesus is just saying, look, there's use for salt, right? We can use it to preserve food, other items. We can use it to Mix it up with manure and clay and dirt and make bricks out of it, and we could it could be useful. For it's, it's some, there are many things that we can use salt for, but the moment that it becomes tasteless, I have no use for it. So, what is he saying here to those people who are still hanging around, listening to the words of Christ? I mean, Jesus Christ just hits them right between the eyes, and he says, "Look, if you lose your flavor, if you're salty, you're no longer salty." then I have no use for you. You're worthless. There is, I, you're dead weight. I do not need anybody who's not fully committed to being able to walk with me to Jerusalem, to pick up his cross and head over to a very, very painful death. In other words, you're so useless that you would ruin crap. It's essentially, you're not even useful for the manure pile. At least with the manure, I can take that manure and I have something. Absent the salt, a useless salt, it's useful for something. I can fertilize something with it. I can mix it in with some other materials. And there's there's some use for the manure. If you're tasteless salt and I happen to put some into manure, then that ruins the manure. Okay? This was the point here. Men, that for me, when I really sat down and thought about this, I thought, I know, I know that I am already a slave. And I know that I am a worthless slave before Jesus Christ. The only way that I will ever be able to acquire any value is by His righteousness and what He has already done for me at the cross. And by the way, just on a quick side note, man. One of the reasons why I also maybe want to address the question there for Ron is why I'm committed to Jesus Christ and making that commitment is not just because of my wanting to make the commitment, but it's the value of the cross. It's what He already has done to pay the price for me to have an opportunity to inherit eternal life. It's that cost, it's what He already did to wash my sins away, the blood that he shed. It's the, the divine wrath that he endured at the cross when he knew that he had to take that cup and take the full cup on my behalf. And he did it out of love. Why can I not turn around and in a full love and appreciation and devotion and commitment and say, Lord, and I want to give you my life back. And I want to be willing to play it for you. And I want to be willing to give it back to you and knowing that my wife is yours, my daughters, my mother, my father, my family, my job, all of it is yours because I'm committed to be able to walk with you. And please, Lord, find it within your mercy to give me more flavor. Give me the strength. Help me identify with you. Let me draw that strength that can only an identity that can only come from you, because otherwise, without you, I am tasteless and I am worthless. Any questions, man? How am I doing on time, sir? Hi. Okay. Perfect. So let me end with a few questions and then a few verses for us to consider, men. Newsflash Being a disciple comes at a cost. Are you willing? Are you willing to pay the cost for Jesus Christ? Will you hate those whom you love, including your own life? Are you willing to carry your own cross daily? And are you willing to sacrifice all of your possessions for Jesus Christ? Guys, make Jesus your number one and only source of your sustenance, your food, your strength. Commit your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to make the following comment at the risk of incurring a little bit of wrath from Jerry, but I'm going to say it anyway. He, in, in very typical Jerry fashion, I heard him say once, he said, look, if you really want a life of excitement, of adventure, if you want a life that's going to take you places, then you buddy up with Jesus. You buddy up with Jesus Christ, and he will give you that life. He's got the biggest jockstrap in town, man. <laughs> And he's, and he's taking names. He is. He's very willing to take your name. But you have to also be very willing to understand the cost. Yes. And when you understand that, and you understand what he's already done for you, all you would want to do, is I would encourage you to take this also as a form of application to think about, is how are you willing to demonstrate to him that devotion, that commitment? And let me... Ask for you, for your consideration, to take scriptures like Psalm 42, verses one and two. This is a psalmist and I read these verses to you guys and I share them because I can relate to what the psalmist is saying here and also the kind of passion that he's describing and he's saying, look, in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. Brother, do you pant for Jesus Christ? Are you thirsty? Does your soul thirst for Christ? Does your commitment for Christ display that to him? That you are so thirsty that you are like that deer who's panting, who's desiring to really to spend time with Christ, because he's the only one who can satisfy? Psalm 27, 4 is another one that I think about often. One thing I have asked of the Lord and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. One thing, he says, here's a psalmist saying, one thing I have asked of the Lord, what have you asked of the Lord? What do you if you think about what you think about and what you pray about, guys, what do you ask of the Lord? And here the psalmist says, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I shall seek. There's that determination to go back and to actually strive for something. And he says, one thing I have asked, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. What is your desire as it relates to your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you thinking about the costs strictly from a perspective of a checklist, a task list, that you get to just you know, feels so good to be able, so such a relief and satisfaction to be able to check off those boxes and say, ah, done, 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 done. Or are you approaching your relationship with Jesus Christ because you know you thirst for him, because you hunger for him, and because you want to please the lover of your soul, and you do want nothing more but to meditate in his temple. You want nothing more but to dwell there. And just to be with him, to see striving and just to be with him for that short amount of time. What about Psalm 63, verses 1 through 3? Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Back over to verse 1. Oh God, says the psalmist, I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh yearns for you. When was the last time that your flesh yearned for something? Yeah, don't answer that. <laughs> Maybe the better question should be, does your, does your flesh yearn for Christ? Does your soul thirst for Christ? Do you know that he's the one and only source? Is that a reflection of how you live? And if you were to spend some one-on-one time... With another man, or if I actually would to spend another one-on-one time with a friend of yours, or maybe even with a family member or your spouse, how would that person describe you? Would that person be able to articulate that you have considered the costs, and that you in fact then return your devotion to Jesus Christ by expressing your hunger and your thirst for Him? And finally, men. If I was to spend some time with Jesus Christ right now and I asked him about you, what would he say? We were talking earlier with Ron actually about Matthew 7 and how that's one of the scariest passages in the Bible that we tend to think about. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And this scares me. It may be one thing for you and I to be able to know one another. You can actually even tell me, till I'm blue in the face, that you know Jesus Christ. But the real question is, does he know you? And have you been able to communicate to him that you're willing to pay the cost to be able to be his disciple? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, first and foremost, thank you for who you are. Thank you for demonstrating your love on that cross, for enduring divine wrath, for becoming sin on my account, so that I might be able to receive your righteousness, Father. Thank you, Father God, for this reminder and this passage, Lord, that, um, well, I am not able to do anything on my account to be able to obtain salvation because it all comes by grace through faith, Lord, but I am reminded that as soon as I enlist to be your disciple, Lord, I know that there are costs involved. Father, I pray for each and every man here today. I pray, Father God, that um, your Holy Spirit will work in their hearts to soften their hearts Father God, that you would be able to place them in positions where they would be able to carve time to dwell with you, to meditate on your word, and to consider this passage, Lord, as there are many others, Father God, in your word, that challenge us to think about the costs of following you. But throughout this time, Father God, I pray that you would carefully and very clearly remind us, Father God, that our purpose is to love you with all of our hearts, our soul, our strength, and our minds, to be able to spend eternity with you, and to be your disciples, Father God, in perpetuity. I thank you for this time with the men. I thank you for your word. And I pray again, Father God, that the message has gone forth, not because of me, but because of your precious name and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.